we've seen our pastor already post something on Facebook over in the promise, over in the holy land of God to show us that the tomb is empty God. We thank you for that. What an experience that was. Father, we worship you this morning. God is
and people go to hell if they commit suicide. And I know that's the typical down-the-line answer, and I would agree to some degree. But ultimately, it's God that has the final say. There are people, uh, I think of my wife's grandmother who had Alzheimer's in, a late, in her late in her life and began to lose her mind. She had no control over those things you see. So I'd say use sensitivity when you're looking at those kind of things. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I choose. And that may not make sense to you and I. But the fact of the matter is, there's going to be some there that you didn't think would be there. And some you thought would be there and don't make it. So be sensitive. But we are talking about depression. And I would say to you that are here that battles depression, maybe you came in today and you're in a depressed state of mind. Maybe you've been battling depression. Listen, I'm going to read some staggering statistics that show that somebody in this place is probably battling depression. And I say to you, it's okay. It's okay. You can get back up. Amen. God wants to help you back up. And he's he's going to help you today if you let him. So let's dive in. I want to read you some Statistics on depression. Depression is a serious emotional disorder and significant, significant health problem. How many of you know that when you get down and out, you can literally have physical pain from depression? It can cause all kinds of other things that go wrong in your body when you're depressed. Depression is not an isolated problem, it's a world wide problem. There's somewhere around 18 million people in one calendar year that is suffering from depression. It's a revolving world. So the, the, the same 18 that are suffering this year might be a whole different people next year. But on a given year, there's 17 to 18 million people worldwide that suffer from depression. In your lifetime, you, you run more than a 20% risk of having major or minor depression. And if you're a woman, the odds are higher. For depression strikes many more women than men. And I believe the reason being is because men have a way to escape. Men, you know, we have the nothing box. That's right. <laughs> what we really do, we can sit and do nothing. We can check out. Women, however, cannot check out. Everything is attached to everything. The brain is like a ball of wire, a ball of twine, and everything is connected to everything. So it's very hard for a woman to escape those things. But men, we still battle, but not as much as women. My wife is saying, yep. The American Medical Association once suggested that more suffering comes from depression than any other single disease affecting man or woman. Any other disease. So there's more people that will suffer from depression than cancer, than heart disease, than stroke. Any other disease, there's more people that will suffer from depression. Depression is a serious medical condition that affects approximately 12 million U.S. adults. Depression is described as a mood disorder. One of the most common symptoms is a constant feeling of sadness. Depression can make you lose interest in the things you love or drain you of your normal level of energy. It can affect your appetite and your sleeping habits. Create feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness. 
These feelings make you feel as though you will never be free from your symptoms and don't even have the energy to try. Depression has a direct effect upon your self-esteem. It affects what you think about yourself as a person as well as how you rate yourself. Unresolved depression causes a person to emphasize, listen, his bad choice and minimize his good ones. When we step into depression, we immediately begin thinking about everything that we are not, everything that is wrong with the picture instead of what is good. We begin to focus and tear ourselves down. We begin to say, I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good brother. I'm not a good student. I'm not a good Christian. I'm not a good friend. We begin to tear ourselves down and focus on our bad qualities. It would be amiss to talk about depression if we didn't talk about the byproduct of depression, and that's suicide. <coughs> suicide is a leading cause of death in our country. It's not the leading cause, but it is a leading cause. Researchers estimate that one out of seven people with severe depression will commit suicide. Tens of thousands of people do it every year in this country. This, this statistic is what bothers me most. Suicide is the third leading cause of death of ages 15 to 24. The third leading cause of death in our kids, in our teenagers. Mom, Dad, I got a 13-year-old. I'm soon to be 14, and I have a 22-year-old. That's scary to death. Because I can tell you, these kids face a whole lot more than we ever thought about facing. I mean, man, just some of the stuff I hear uh, just talking with some of them, it blows my mind, the things that they see, the things that they hear, the things that they encounter in school. Man, the bullying, the cyberbullying, all that stuff. No wonder it's such a staggering statistic. We pray for our young people. Amen. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death for all ages in our country. I mean, that doesn't sound that bad. You say, well, that's just a tenth. But man, we start thinking about all the things that kill people. Number 10 is pretty high up on the list. However, I do not believe that depression is a sin. I believe that it is a signal that something is wrong in your life. I believe that not dealt with, it can definitely lead to sin. It can lead a person into sin. But I do not believe that depression in itself is a sin. So I say to you that is dealing with it this morning, if you're here, it's okay. God can get you out of this rut. He can pick you up out of this rut. Hopefully, when you leave here today, you feel encouraged and empowered to do so. It's hard to think to do right and think uh, to make right decisions when your emotions are out of balance and, and thrown out of thrown out of whack. It's hard to make right decisions. So yes, it can lead you into a life of sin. It can lead you into uh, cutting. It can lead you into all kinds of byproducts that depression falls because you can't escape in any other kind of way. It can lead you into drinking. It can lead you into drugs because if you have to find a way of escape. I'm here to tell you, today we're going to see the ultimate escape is Jesus Christ this morning. Depression is no respecter of persons. It strikes the rich. It strikes the poor. It strikes 
the uneducated and the educated, the religious, the non-religious, the Christian, the non-Christian, it is no respecter of persons. Depression doesn't depend on what you have or your circumstances. No matter how much you have in life, no matter how big a house you have, how nice of a car you have. That's why you hear about movie stars who are making millions and millions of dollars committing suicide because obviously money was not was not the problem. There are many different things that cause depression. Fatigue is one of them. Failure or fear. Some suffer from depression because you have a chemical imbalance. And you have to take medication like myself. And you have to take medication to balance the chemicals in your body and your brain. So this message is not for you to go home and stop taking your medicine. Yes, amen. God has put some wonderful, wonderful medication uh, out there in the medical field to help you. <laughs> so don't go home and say, Jason, Pastor Jason, hey, I'll get on my medicine. I'll do this all by myself. No, <coughs> take your medicine. Especially if you come in here and take your medicine. <laughs> <laughs> My wife will tell you, yes, take your medicine. Because there have been times uh, that I say, I'm going to take medicine no more. I've been taking medication for 20 plus years, y'all. Do you know what happens? When you take a pill, four of them a day, every day for 20 plus years, I could take two ibuprofen and throw them in my mouth and swallow them with little water or no water at all. I can take my lithium and if it touches my throat, it makes me want to gag. Isn't that weird? But it's something about, you see, it's a, it's a mental thing. And I get in my own head sometimes. And I say, oh man, I, I just, I've been spiritual enough. I can do this. Man, I message that empowered me. I can do this. I can, I'm going to go home. I'm not going to tell nobody. I'm just going to start weaning myself off of my medication. True story. I've done it. And I might do well for about three days until it's completely out of my system. And then my wife will quickly inform me that something is wrong. And she will say stuff like this. She'll give me a look like, are you taking your medicine? <laughs> <laughs> and of course I hit the roof because I'm off my medicine. And I'll say, well, why is it got to be by the medicine all the time? It ain't medicine. Can I just have a bad day? Can I just make off? You don't have off days? I have an off day. I just have an off day. Leave me alone. <laughs> so take your medicine. I know that Jesus wants me to take medicine right now. <laughs> and I've learned that when he says, I don't want you to take any medicine, the doctors are taking it off of it. Amen? So take your medicine. <laughs> Many things cause depression, though. The Bible puts it this way. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Anxiety causes depression. We got any anxious people in here? Come on, be honest. Be honest. Man, I've had some bouts with anxiety. See, what you don't know is uh, when you're bipolar, anxiety and uh, obsessive compulsive disorder 
are just kind of sisters to the problem. They're just symptoms of a bigger problem. So, man, I have both. And, and I used to get anxious really bad. I used to really uh, have bad anxiety. And, and I remember uh, I was probably what, 19 or 20 years old. And I, I was smoking at the time, cigarettes, cigarettes. I was smoking cigarettes. Uh, and I was, man, all of a sudden I was working this job. I was working like a dog. And going in at six and getting off at six. I worked for Thomasville buses and I was on the production line. And then we just didn't have time. We just had to get in there and get the job done. Uh, and, and so I would work all day and I was smoking about a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. And, and I was, all of a sudden, I started having trouble breathing. Like, you know, I couldn't get my breath. I couldn't get a deep breath. And that went on for probably two months. And I said, I said to Michelle, I said, we've just got, there must be the smoking. And, uh, well, at the time, you know, I was young. I was probably 18, actually. I don't think we were married yet. I, at the time, I just found out that we had our first child on the way. <laughs> we were buying a car for our first child. We were getting our first house. And so I came home from work one day, and I sat down on the couch, and still, you know, I just got into a rhythm. You know, imagine how I'm going to this, by the way. And I come home, I sit down on the couch, and we turn on the movie. And at this time, me and Michelle weren't even married yet, and we still had a guy that was me and a roommate that had the house, and we got married, he was going to move out, but anyhow, he was there, and we turned on the movie, and I sat up and I did my little normal breathing stuff, and, and then I, all of a sudden I just fell right over on the couch, and Michelle said I was like green. And she knew something was wrong immediately. And she said, are you okay? I said, I'm gonna have to go uh, to the emergency room, I think. And so, sure enough, they jump up, Michelle's, uh, she's about five months pregnant. I'll put my business out there, you know? That's all right. I'm saved, sanctified, and living today. Amen. It's all right. Amen. 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 But she, uh, we jumped up and started, well, you know, if, if you're already anxious, you know what happens when you get put into an anxious situation? Man. I, we jumped up and we got in the car and we started off to the emergency room and every muscle in my body drew up like a raisin. True story. I'm talking, I'm going to give y'all a visual effect. <laughs> I'm talking, my arms drew up to my chest like this. My legs drew up like this. And I'm, we're in a a little Nissan Pulsar. My buddy, he's about 300 pounds driving. Michelle's in the back seat, five months pregnant, and I'm over in the passenger side like this. My, my hands drew up like this right here, my thumbs. And I could literally take my arms and pull them out like rubber bands and they would shoot out. And pull them back in, pull back in. I mean, it was uncontrollable. I had zero control over my heart. I thought I was having a heart attack. My heart was, was caving in. It felt like a wave in my heart. My mouth drew up. The muscles in my mouth drew up. And I was like, yes. I was like, And I'd get scared and I was crying and I was scared because I thought I was dying. And I said to Michelle in the back, I said, hold me, hold me. And she'd reach over and throw her arms around me. I said, get off of me, get off of me. <laughs> and it was like in and out like that. And I, I mean, I was having all kinds of issues. And so when I got to the emergency room, my big, my big friend, and I was much lighter back then, and my big friend carried me in. And he, we get to, uh, the doors, and back then, Hopper Regional Hospital, the doors kind of flew open, and there was the triage nurse. 
and at the emergency room, and he's, he's pulling, you know, he's holding me in, and I'm, you can imagine, I'm all balled up like this, drawn up, mouth drawn up, can't walk, and the lady, the triage nurse, the doors fly open, and she's like, And my buddy Martin's carrying me in. He's like, lady, he don't normally look like this. <laughs> and so they go and get, get me back. They take me back right away. Shoot me in the tail with something. And man, I just went over like a, like a noodle after that. But, but anyhow, the, the point is, is the doctor came in and he said, it was a psychiatrist, and he said, you know, of course he's asking me, are you worried about stuff? Are you, are you contemplating suicide? Are you, you know, he's going through all these, I'm sure it's the, uh, whatever you call it, the type of stuff he has to do. And, and I said, no, 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 I'm not going normal. And so I began to tell him what had, what was coming about, you know, my wife, my girlfriend's pregnant, I'm, I'm, I've, just, you got to get the house, I'm, i got to get a job, and, or I've got a job, and I hate the job, and it's, I'm working like crazy, I'm smoking, and I'm, you know, I've got all these things going on, and, and he began to see what was happening in life, and he said, reality has literally hit you and knocked you back. True story. Reality had literally hit me and knocked me down. Anxiety. How many of you understand that life brings about a lot of anxiety? Paying the bills. Taking care of kids, man. It's hard to raise kids today. They can be very anxious. But there are many great men and women of God that are challenged with their emotions and with the issue of depression. Moses, the great leader that would lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. See all the powerful miracles of God. See the Red Sea parted. God raining uh, food down from, from the sky. Water gushing out of the rock. He would see all the wonderful, wonderful miracles of God. And yet, in Numbers 11, 14 through 15, he says, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me the favor and spare your misery. That's a mighty man of God. And yet he's battling depression. First of all, I'm going to say, don't be careful how you say, Lord, I can't handle it. I don't know how much more I can take. Because we'll make God a liar if we're not careful. Because God said, I'll not put more on you than you can bear. And I will always make a way of escape. So we got to be careful uh, how we treat that, how we look at that. Elijah, the awesome prophet of God, after having one of the most powerful victories in the Bible that takes place on Mount Carmel, where he calls down fire from the heavens and it comes down and zaps up all the sacrifice, and 450 prophets of Baal were defeated and slain that day. Wonderful, wonderful prophet of God, seeing powerful things. But yet we find again another man. God praying in 1 Kings 19 that he wants to die. Asking the Lord to take his life for he is no better than his father. My wife's favorite story in the Bible is about a lady named Hannah. She's the mother of Samuel. And, and Hannah was buried. She couldn't have children. She was repeatedly harassed by her life. Back then, you didn't have more than one. Bless her heart. But she was <laughs> repeatedly harassed by Helena. 
constantly harassed. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel that she was, deep, was in deep anguish and crying bitterly. And she cried out to God and asked the Lord to look upon her sorrow. So depression is not new. It's not new to God. It's all through the Word of God. It's not catching him by surprise. He knows all about depression. This message is not an attempt to diagnose you uh, on whether or not you're depressed or not. Okay? But I would like to talk about the spiritual side of depression. I believe that there's a spiritual side to everything. Because we are created with a soul, with a spirit, so there must be a spiritual side to everything. My oldest son used to tell me all the time, Dad, you turned everything into a spiritual conversation. I mean, we could be talking about something stupid, and you somehow or another redirected into a spiritual conversation. I think that's a bad quality. I think it's a pretty good quality, but that's exactly what I want to do here today. We've heard the darkness. We've heard uh, the sadness about depression today. But I want to talk about the spiritual side. You see, because I believe some people are prone to depression. Some people are prone to uh, rage and anger. Like myself, I was, I was diagnosed bipolar back when I was about 20 years old because I had all kinds of problems with anger and rage. And I go to the doctor who diagnosed me uh, being bipolar, and, and I told you guys a few weeks ago when I uh, when I spoke here that you know he gave me this analogy that it was a there was a house and and uh, the house there's an attic and there's a basement and then there's the living area and he told me you're either in the attic or you're in the basement and what we want to do is get you in the living area where everybody else is at. And so I mainly stayed in the attic. I mainly stayed up there. I would say 80% of the time I stayed in the manic. Another word for bipolar is manic depressiveness. And I stayed in the manic all the time. I was very high strung, full of rage all the time. And so, but every once in a while, I would go to the basement for a little while. I just wave at you in the living area. You know what I'm saying? On my way up or on my way down, be like, hey. But I would, I would be in the or in the basement in manic or depression. And for the most part, when you're bipolar, it's like this. That's why they call it bipolar. It's two poles. You're either in the North Pole or South Pole. You get a picture. <coughs> and so, usually, the manic episodes would cause me to be depressed. So I would rage out at my wife or at my kids or whoever, and then I would go, I'd, I'd get to beat myself up and say, man, that was wrong. That was messed up. I should have done that. And then I start tearing myself down. And there's literally an inner war going on at this point. And I would get depressed. I would go down into depression for a day or so. And I'd come back up to the naming stage. But every once in a while, I'd go down and I'd stay down. So I want to say to you is, I believe some people are prone to depression. And though you may be here and you may have a chemical imbalance and you may be taking meds for depression or whatever the mental uh, problem is you might have, 
And, uh, but I'm telling you, if you don't begin to battle this spiritually and see the spiritual side of this, you will never completely get victory over it. There is just as much spiritual about this as there is uh, physical. And so what I want to do today is equip you and, and show you that you have to begin to think about this spiritually. Because just like an alcoholic is tempted with alcohol, just like a drug addict is tempted with drugs, or a person that's addicted to pornography is tempted with lust and pornography, a person that has bipolar disorder and depression problems is prone and tempted in that area. So you have to fight it just like anybody else. It's, it, there's a spiritual side of things, and we have to begin to fight it. Uh, spiritually, I said on Wednesday night that uh, I preach when I preach. I usually preach from experience, and I've had some experience in depression. I can tell you that some warfare, some spiritual warfare, and a lot of Jesus can get you far against this stuff. So let's look at three points that I believe you need to overcome depression. Number one, you have to reach out. If you're battling depression, you have to reach out. You have to reach out and you have to cry out to God. And when I say reach out, I mean you have to reach out to a friend or a family member or somebody tell them what's going on because the last thing a person with depression wants to do is talk to anybody. They want to be isolated. They want to be left alone. And let me tell you, when you're left alone, that darkness only gets darker. You have to reach out. You have to uh, get out of your comfort zone. Recognize that you have something going on in your life and reach out and cry to God. The Bible says in every episode there, Moses, he cried out to God. Elijah, he cried out to God. And Hannah, she cried out to God for help. But God has put us together for a reason. Really, a lot of times when you're crying out to God, he wants to help you, but really he's put his people in place to help you. He's put his people in place to talk to you and to walk beside you and to encourage you along the way. And so when I say reach out, I want to say this is a twofold thing here, church. I want to talk to the church for a minute. You can't get so busy in life, and I'm guilty of it too, that the person sitting next to you don't matter. We've got to get to a point where we, uh, we get about people. How many of you understand that God is a people person? He loves people. Jesus' ministry was about people. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, then we've got to get about people. Amen? And so I say that because, you know, I worked with a guy for, for about three and a half to four years. I worked alongside of him every day. Week in, week out. I travel a lot. Me and him would travel together. We stay at the same hotel. We meet at the same restaurants. We hung, I hung out with this guy more than I've seen my family a lot of weeks. Wonderful guy. Don't believe he was a Christian, but a wonderful man. We'd have fun. We'd cut up. It was about a month after leaving the company that I got to call him and commit suicide. And you can't understand what that does to a person. And it made me do some real soul searching. It made me think, man, why did I miss it? What didn't I see? And I understand these guys hide that stuff so well. These guys are, when, when people that are suicidal, they really do a good job of putting on a good front. I understand that. But 
now that I think about it, after I got the call and I began to beat myself up and why I didn't, why I didn't catch it, I, I worked pretty big today. I seen the man more than most, most of his family did. Why didn't I catch this? Why didn't I see this? I began to see, oh, there was that time. And this man knew that I was a Christian. He knew that I was a Christian. He knew that I went to church. He knew that I followed the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that I did all that. But that was as far as it went. I never once witnessed to this guy. I'm holding the hope. I'm, I'm holding the hope of Jesus Christ in my hands. I'm holding the keys to the kingdom in my hands. And all I've got to do is open my mouth and sow into this guy's life spiritually. And all I want to do is be a friend and be quiet about Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's people sitting in this room right now that need a friend. Just, we can't, we got to be careful how busy we get. And I understand, man, it's busy times. We're in, uh, we got this going on and ball going on and church going on and all kinds of things. But listen, we've got to sow into people. We've got to get about people. Because that's what Christ did. He was about people. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How many of you know that his return is drawing near? Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, now. And as we see the day approaching, we're to do it even more. We got we still gotta get to the point where we do it before we ever get to do it more. We've got to get about people and just take the time. Just take the time. Number two, I believe you have to redirect your thoughts. You have to redirect your thoughts. Philippians 4 8 says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We gotta redirect our thoughts. Because, like I said earlier, what happens is you begin to think about yourself the way others see you. You might be being bullied. Somebody might have said something about you. Somebody's gossiping about you. And you begin to see yourself through the eyes of somebody. Can I just say, don't believe what other people's opinions are about you. Find your worth through the eyes of Christ. Christ says, I love you. Christ says, you're precious to me. Christ says, I came and I died for you. You're a precious jewel. Christ says, you're more than conquerors. Christ says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He didn't say that there wouldn't be a weapon formed against you. He said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You got to redirect your thoughts. Get your eyes on Jesus. You got to redirect your focus is my last point. Hebrews 12, 2 through 4 says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross, disregarded his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured for sinful people. And you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in struggle 
can't see it. You got to redirect your focus. You got to begin to see God for who He is. You got to begin to see God and, and not only see God for who He is, but see who you are in God. If you're a believer this morning, you are somebody. You are precious in God's sight. He, he, is, he is your Redeemer. He sent His only begotten Son to die for you. And when you, when you get down and out, you've got to keep your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith. And you got to praise Him. you got to praise Him. You want to know how to get under depression? Really quick, you got to praise the Lord. You, you got to get your eyes and watch what happens when you take the, when you take the focus off of yourself and off the temporal things and all your problems and all the bad in your situation and you begin to put your eyes on Jesus Christ. You begin to put your eyes on the Father, the one who has set you free from all sin, the one has delivered you from your past. When you begin to do that, watch, it takes the focus off of your temple problems and it puts it on the one who can change all things. He can change all things. I promise you, if you begin to throw a song in and begin to praise, and I know, listen, that's the last thing you want to do as a depressed person. You don't want to praise God. You just want to soak, sit in your dark spot, and isolate yourself. I know because I've been there. If I come across strong like that, I'm sorry, I've been there. I know what that's like. My wife and I, we, we've been through some stuff. Okay, I'm just going to, I didn't put my business out there. I'm not going to put it more. We, uh, when I met Michelle, she was 16 years old. Actually, I met her way earlier than that. I was at a skate group. I was a man with some skateboard. <laughs> and I remember she was there, and you know, my cool son, I said, hey, you want to go out sometime? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I'm dating this other girl, so when I get done with her, I'll call her home. That's it. That's it. That's pretty good one. I know I'm messed up. 
You want me to pay him more than telling her you messed up? And I, we, we would, you know, I'd go and we'd get diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and then that journey would start, and then the next journey would be, you know, Michelle had trouble with her pregnancy and, and uh, had all kinds of complications, and then the next pregnancy, she had all kinds of complications, had to get two blood transfusions. So I'm just telling you a little bit just to fill you in. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to struggle. Because I think sometimes we get our eyes on the pastors and, and the leadership of the church and we say, well, they don't know what I'm going through. They have never been there. They don't, I mean, they're, they're a man of God or they're, they're a preacher or they're a singer. They ain't got a clue what's going on. I've been there, man. I've battled that stuff. It's tough still battling that stuff. But one of the roughest times of our life is when we pour 18 years into our son and then he goes off to college only to tell us that he is no longer going to follow Jesus. He is going to live life the way he wants to live. This January will be two years since I've laid eyes on him. One of the hardest things we have ever been through in our life. I wouldn't wish that stuff on my enemies. I don't have any enemies. But I wouldn't. But something we begin to do is we begin to pray and fast and, and we begin to uh, worship the Lord. Because you can imagine. With stuff like that, we, we already come up. I mean, we literally get to the point where we're like, man, when do we just get to, to enjoy life? As soon as we get done with this, this happens. As soon as we get done with this, this happens. And it seems like, and I'm, I'm, I'm testifying, but I'm telling you, 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 brought, you guys are facing some of the same things. But it gets so bad, you can imagine the depression, the heaviness, the down and out. So we begin to put together songs. We call them our battle songs. We begin to when we feel heavier, we feel uh, uh, discouraged, we, we grab these songs and we begin to sing them. We, we chose songs like Raise a Hallelujah. Y'all know that song? Battle song. We choose songs like Do It Again. We believe that God's going to save our soul. We believe that He's going to return. We believe that He's coming back home. As a matter of fact, God has given me a promise in His Word in Jeremiah that says, uh, Your son will return from the distant land of the enemy. I believe that. Turn on another. 
in the prisons. And when they began to sing, what happened? The chains fell off. There came an earthquake. And the gates were open. There's something powerful about singing. Can I, can I sing this song?
Be with us, God. Keep us safe.